Hi everyone, this is Aaron, and you are listening to Walnut Commentary, a podcast about Asian American church and ministry. I'm currently teaching 11th grade Sunday school, and I asked Pastor Hanley Liu and his wife Meryl to join me for a special lesson. We did a Q&A session, and I recorded it for us to share as a special episode of this podcast. I asked them to share their salvation testimonies, the history of their relationship, what the doctrines of grace means to them, the role of hermeneutics in their lives, as well as some encouragement for our 11th grade students. Thanks for listening. Grew up in this church. My parents uh, were not Christian. They just dropped me off since I was five or six years old, on and off, right? So when my parents got busy, I didn't come. And uh, I accepted Christ like a bunch of times. Um, So I, I accepted Christ probably the first time that I remember second grade. Um, can you can you explain accept Christ? What do you mean by that? Uh, the Sunday school teacher had us make pizzas for like Valentine's Day or something like that, um, <laughs> and basically brought a little oven and you have to do, say this prayer and she walks you through the gospel and okay. Okay. if you don't get it you don't get your pizza. I wanted my pizza and I didn't want to go to hell. <laughs> so, so as a second grader, I said, "Oh, all I have to do is accept Jesus or believe and say a prayer." So obviously, it's not a genuine conversion, but God in His sovereignty is doing His work, right? Uh, then there was another time where, um, I don't know if you guys know Auntie Emily Cam, she cornered me and um, walked me through the five colors. And again, like I wanted to go play. So uh, I said, okay, well, I don't want to go to hell. So all I have to do is believe in Jesus. Anyway, um, so I, I don't think I was truly a believer. But every time I went to camp, I felt that emotional, like God is real, God is close, you know. Um, and, and and that's that's my story. Uh, around Around six... Sixth grade and on, you know, my parents' marriage began to fall apart. And, you know, I found out a lot of stuff. And I think that impacted me about my dad having a second family, you know, being unfaithful multiple times. And so I became this really angry uh, teenager uh, that was just full of rage. And um, I, but for some reason, I kept coming to church. And I, I think that's God's hand. But I, I wanted to play basketball. And there were girls at church, too. <laughs> so, no, being honest. Uh, and, and that's what it was. Uh, somewhere along my junior year, so my parents eventually split and, you know, we, we moved and, and all that. And somewhere around my junior year, senior year, uh, you know, my GPA at the time was like 2.3. Uh, I didn't really care about school. Um, and But then it hit me. I said, I'm going to be a failure in life. And, and then so this idea, one day I, I woke up in the morning of my friend's bathroom, you know, because we were just drinking as a junior in high school and drunk and you know, I was just like, dude, life is miserable. I did weed, don't do it. That's why I'm stupid. Um, you know, and, and so I, I, I was just feeling dumb. And I said, you know, life is hopeless. If I don't have Jesus, whatever they talk about at church, then it doesn't matter if I make a lot of money or if I get a good job. You know, I'm just not going to be successful at life at all. So I didn't really understand everything, but I knew that whatever whatever Jesus offered, I wanted. Um, and at that point in my in in the depravity of my Arminianism, I basically thought I could choose Jesus. So I started to follow Christ, I would say, probably my senior year, but I kept failing. I fell into lust, into, you know, just, just every sin, you know, and, and, and I just kept teetering back on, am I saved, am I not saved? And, and that's kind of a story of, of my, you know, salvation. But by God's grace, um, I, I wanted to go to Biola because I said, okay, if I go to Biola, I can learn the Bible because I want to learn God's word so that I can change. Again, it's very works-based. Um, by his grace, my, my freshman year was the first time I was introduced to the tulip. I was studying, I was reading a book, and I was reading Piper and reading Wayne Grudem. 
And it was really the tulip that changed my life, uh, that I realized there's nothing I could do to save myself, that even, you know, but if it wasn't for his unconditional election, that I wouldn't have even wanted Jesus, that, that I would have been in, rather been in, in the pile of dung, you know, and, and just keep going back to sin like a dog returning to his vomit. And I, and I realized that, you know, if Jesus really died for me, then that death secures my salvation. They, that's why his grace is irresistible. And the question of whether or not I'm saved or not is a, it shouldn't be asked, you know, it's a perseverance issue that if you really have Christ, then just follow him, just take the step and he is guiding you. And I mean, that's, that's a, a nutshell of my salvation. So I would say my life truly didn't, I didn't realize true conversion or true under, a true understanding of it until I, I became a Calvinist. Thanks, Alan. Merrill, you want to share your testimony, short version? Um, so I grew up in a Christian family. I went to a church in Cerritos until I was like in second grade, and then I started coming here to FCBC. Um, so I've been introduced to like Christianity all my life. Like I knew all the stories and went through all those like felt board things. And um, I think so. I never really questioned like, oh, what would life be like if I wasn't a Christian? Um, I know, like, in junior high, now looking back, like, I think I found a lot of my identity or self-worth in, in like, my friends, being accepted by them, and in school, just doing well, um, and different things like that. And uh, if I wasn't accepted by my friends, or if I wasn't, well, at that time, I didn't struggle with school that much, but then if my parents weren't happy with me, like, in my performance in school, I think that would really affect me emotionally. So I wouldn't say that Christianity had a influence in the way I lived uh, until probably in high school. Um, that's the first time I distinctly remember at a retreat. Well, I went through, like, what Howling went through, like, the retreats I would like be like oh god please come into my life because I didn't want to go to hell you know that's like what they teach you when you're little um and I think in high school that's the first time I distinctly remember thinking about what God did for us through Jesus Christ his son and being affected by that like wanting to change because of that and wanting to follow God and um, so I would say probably early high school, either freshman or sophomore year, that's when I started to really own faith as my own. And I think that's also where in church I was actually challenged by the things that we were taught. I think before that I was very like, yeah, I know all this. Like I know Moses. I know the Ten Commandments. I know all the Bible stories. Like, um, But I think in high school that's when we started to learn more about God's word and just the more complicated stuff. And I think I was very challenged intellectually and that also challenged me um, in other areas of my life too. And so that's Thanks. a short version. Why don't you guys give us a short history of your relationship? Um, so Hallie and I have like a pretty big age gap. We're seven years apart. So we both grew up in this church, but because of our age gap, we didn't really know each other um, as friends. So <laughs> when I was uh, in college, I was serving as a gap counselor and he was the youth intern. So I would say in college, like, I really had a lot of questions about um, the Bible and I guess what you would say, like, theology and stuff like that. 
Um, so I would ask him these questions over AIM. Do you guys even know what AIM is? It's like, it's like the old school, like when chatting first started. Okay. Um, yeah, we still had modem back then. You guys probably don't know what that is either. But I would ask him all these questions just over like your guys' text message. And he would answer them. And for some reason in his mind, he perceived that as that I liked him. But he was <laughs> he was a youth, he was an intern pastor here. So it's like that was his job. So for me, I was just asking him questions. Um, and then one time when I was away on vacation with my family, he like convinced one of my good friends that I liked him. And he said, I'm going to ask her out. And my friend was like, you're crazy. She doesn't like you. And he's like, no, she asked me all these questions. She always talks to me, blah, blah. And then he convinced my friend that I liked him. So I came back from vacation and my friend was like, do you like Hanley? And I was like, no, I don't even know him. And she was like, oh my gosh, I think he's going to like ask you out. So, so he did. Okay. So I came to church one day with this, like, I already had a hint that something he, he said, oh, I need to talk to you. And I was like, oh, that's weird. You know? Um, so he talked to me and then he said, hey, I like you. I'm so certain that I like you that once you graduate college, I'm going to marry you. And I said, you don't even know who I am. <laughs> so after not talking to him for a while, because I thought it was really weird and creepy, and I just kept fixating on the fact that he was old and that he was gonna be a pastor, and I had no desire whatsoever to be a pastor's wife. And I was not looking to date at all. I didn't care. I could care less that I didn't have a boyfriend at the time. I was like a sophomore in college, freshman in college. Um, so I was going to tell him, no, thank you. Um, That's weird. And then I think one of my good friends at the time was saying, she was like, okay, put aside the fact that he's older and he's a pastor. Um, is he someone like that you could respect in your life. And I was like, yeah, of course I could respect him. He's like a leader in a church. I think he's respectable. She's like, well, why don't you just try it out? Okay. So I was like, okay, I guess so. Um, so we tried it out. We had a really rocky dating relationship. I didn't like him at all. And he kept telling me stuff like, oh, but I know we're going to get married. And I was like, get away from me. You don't even know me. And so after probably like two years of wanting to break up with this guy and him not letting me break up, um, he just kept telling me, trust me. I know it's going to work. Trust me. I was like, okay, okay, whatever. Um, we finally came to a point in our relationship where we had like a really serious conversation. I was like, hey, look, you need to just like back off and let me get to know you at my own pace and not force your thoughts about our relationship and how it's going to go. Um, so we sort of like started over. Or maybe that was after a year, Something year and a half, after a year. So then fast forward, we dated for three years. Uh, I got married right after college. So I guess he was right, but not because he said he was right. <laughs> God allowed it to happen that way. Um, and now we've been married. We were married for seven years, and then we had our first kid, our daughter Haley, and now we've been married for a total of eight years. That's good. That sounds horrible and painful. It was. I'm glad it, I'm glad it worked out for you guys. Yeah, it worked out for everyone. <laughs> um, the reason why I wanted to ask you, Hanley, was, um, you know, obviously to impart your knowledge to these guys, Meryl, too, but um, what exactly do the doctrines of grace 
mean to you? Not not like, oh, what what are they? But like, how do they affect you emotionally? Okay, I I don't want to uh, I don't want to enforce my personal experience on on everyone's spiritual journey. But for me, the doctrines of grace are life and death. It's everything. Um, because I'm prone to be proud and self-centered. I think that's the human nature. And even when I want to do something good for God, there might be a false motivation. right? Like, hey, I want to serve people. I want to be recognized. I want to be known as someone who serves. Um, even in terms of pursuing Christ, I tend to just be formulaic. Like, God, you know, tell me what to do so that I can have an easier life or, or so that I can so that I can overcome sin, you know, give me five steps. Do I read my Bible 15 minutes, pray for five and, and then go serve for 30 minutes? I mean, what is it? Um, and it's very eye centered, you know? And so for me, I, I think the doctrines of grace really remind me that, that I don't deserve anything, you know, that, that if God just put all this theology and Bible and even Christians in front of me, that if it was up to me, I would reject him. Um, and even if I received him, I would try to receive him on my own terms and I would try to live the Christian life on my own terms. And so the doctrines of grace at a starting point reminds me that there's nothing I could do to save myself. So every time I worship, every time I, I, I go through a struggle in life, I realize God is sovereign. He's completely in control of my life. Um, I, I have responsibility. I need to respond to him. I need to live. I need to make decisions. But ultimately, God is completely sovereign. I am his child. He's chosen me before the foundation of the world. It also helps me not to judge people. Like I could, I could look at someone down the street or, or someone and I'm like, dude, God, you know, this lady who's not Christian, she's so nice. I'm rotten. Why did you choose me? You know, wh- wh- why didn't you save them? You know, it gives me compassion, but it reminds me that like, man, I don't, I don't deserve a thing. So, so I think that's a big thing. It, it, it brings me back to a place of worship, puts life into perspective. And also, um, I stop questioning, uh, am I saved or am I not? You know, so, so when I struggle with sin, I don't ask that question, am I saved or not? Um, I, I, just, I just, in my head, I said, well, do you love Jesus? Do you want to live for him? Then keep going, you know, whatever it takes. You know, talk to someone, get accountability. Um, change. And so I, I, I stopped teetering back. There, there is no question of, do you want Christ? Do you not want Christ? Right? And I, I think without the doctrines of grace, I would always be there. I'd always be like, hey, am I really saved? Oh, man, the, you know, the world is tempting. Do I want the world or do I want Christ? And um, I, I think without the doctrines of grace, it's just I, I, I'd be in a lost place. Now, I can't say that for other people. I know people who outright reject the doctrines of grace um, theologically, but yet they love Jesus and they they believe in the opposite view, where they chose Christ and where they are in control of their, <laughs> their Christian life, I guess. Well, they wouldn't say that. but um, and, and they love Jesus and they evangelize like crazy. And so, you know, um, I guess that's, that's God's plan for them. Um, when I first heard about the doctrines of grace, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is what we learned in AP Euro when they're talking about like John Calvin and he believed in predestination and there was Martin Luther and 95 Thesis. I was like, now we're learning this in church. And I remember when we were learning it in AP Euro, I remember thinking, I'm a Christian, but that sounds really weird and very cultic. Um, But then we learned about it in Sunday school and I was like, oh shoot, we're teaching this here at church. But at church, I think there was a very different spin to it. I think in AP Euro, it's just very like, Predestination means that God knows everything that's going to happen in your life and blah, blah, blah. Um, And so when we were learning about it at church, I think my initial 
reaction was to push back against it because it was new and it was something where I just felt like it was really, like, I guess, biased to say, like, oh, God chose you, God chose you. How come you didn't choose these people? Oh, and then, like, so I had to think through a lot of the different implications of it and just really read scripture um, and see what it said. And I eventually came to believe in the doctrines of grace. And I think, same as Hallie, I think when I finally understood it, it's not that I felt like, oh my gosh, yeah, God chose me. Like, I'm spectacular. I think it was more that I realized, dude, yeah, when left to myself, there is nothing that I would do that would choose God. Like, I would rather be comfortable, do my own thing, make me happy all the time, chase after my own dreams, then surrender my life to this person. Um, And so I think I started to see that, man, yeah, it's really God who is working in my life to make me even want to come to church, make me want to change or make me want to surrender these aspects of my life to him. So I think a combination of just reading scripture and just seeing evidences in my own life made me realize um, the validity of the doctrines of grace. And also, I think throughout life, it's not that I constantly say to myself, this is the tea of tulip. And I'm thinking this, you know, I think it just happens where like when Hallie was saying, like sometimes things happen in life and the way you respond to it or the way that you think about it, if you really boil it, if you really distill it, you realize, Oh, I think about this, this way, because I believe in the doctrines of grace. Like I believe that I, I can't do these things on my own, that I need God to work in my life. And this is God who is working and I need to trust him. Um, and I just need to surrender to his lordship and his word. And so, yeah. Hanley, were you the one who first made Doctrines of Grace the 11th grade curriculum? Like, were you the one that said, we're going to teach this in 11th grade? Or is that Jerry? Who, who was that? Um, I, possibly. Um, I, I, I think that in... In 11th grade, you there was on the curriculum doctrine of salvation. Oh, okay, okay. And I'm not sure what that in, entails, but I, I know for sure there was justification, sanctification, glorification. And I don't remember if there was a comparison of Calvinism versus Arminianism. I see. Um, and so I, I, I might have brought that in. So when you started teaching it, why did you think that 11th grade was a good time to teach it versus like 7th grade? Or versus once they get to college. Well, I think if they put me in first grade, I would have taught it. You know, <laughs> so it's it's you know I believe that you know maybe that's why I said I don't want to read my personal experience, but but ninety percent of the people who went through youth group with me are not saved. Uh, you know, they they went through junior high, high school, then they went to college, and the world took them. And and my prayer is that God would bring them back if they were truly saved. But I just didn't see a genuine conversion, and so so there is that struggle. Plus, a lot of a lot of high schoolers, and I think junior highers too, struggle with, you know, am I really saved or not? So so we just wanted to to address what I felt it needs to be addressed. And by the time you get to college, you know, in my day, that was a hotbed topic. Like when you get to college, there's a few things that you realize if you're a Christian. You go to a different fellowship and you realize, oh, some people believe in speaking in tongues, right? That's one thing. Um, and you're like, what is this? This emotional worship experience, you know, versus, you know, is it just a Korean thing? No, no. It's, you know, there's Koreans that don't believe in that, right? So you begin to ask questions. But another thing people think about is like, who chose who chose you for salvation? Was it was it was it God that chose you, or did you choose Jesus? And and so I figured, you know, in eleventh grade, 
it, you know, you're studying for college, you're not on senioritis yet, you know, you're preparing for college, what a better way to prepare for college than to learn one of the hardest doctrines in the Bible. But really, there, there is a, a hidden motivation behind that. I don't think it's a bad motivation. Uh, for me, I pushed back hard on, on, on Calvinism too. When I first learned it in, in Bible college, I was like, no way is this true. How is this fair? Then I went to the library and I pulled out all the commentaries I could understand, and I looked at every passage of Scripture, and I realized this is really what Scripture is teaching. Um, I, don't, I don't feel good about it, but this is what it says, therefore I'm going to submit to Scripture and trust God. And I think once I was able to do that, once the Lord led me to submit to Calvinism, especially Romans 9, that is a very hard passage to submit to. Once you submit to that, then the rest of Scripture opened up for me. And so then that was a journey into hermeneutics. That was also a journey into, okay, if I can believe that God chose people and submit to God's teaching, then everything else in the Bible, like Canaanite genocide doesn't bother me. I'll just study to understand God's context. You know, like the fact that, you know, all the crazy stories in the Bible, it, it all, I'll, I'll submit to all of it. And, and I think the Lord used Calvinism as, as the door to teach me to surrender to his word. Meryl, we're also learning hermeneutics here, and we just started maybe three weeks ago, I think. Now, I'll ask Hanley later how hermeneutics play into his sermon prep, but for you, as someone who doesn't preach, how does hermeneutics affect your Christian life, whether that's you and your personal devotions or how you're dealing with your family? How does it affect you personally? I think hermeneutics, like Brandon said earlier, is just a way for you to study and interpret scripture. And I think anytime you read scripture, you are not only reading what is it saying, but you're also reading, well, what is God trying to say to me? And I think in order to derive that meaning, um, I use hermeneutics. Now, it's not saying that every single time I read the Bible, I'm like sitting down and like busting out all these questions and like going all insane. Sometimes it does call for that. But other times, um, just reading the Bible devotionally, you know, we could, you could choose any passage in the Bible to say whatever you want if you don't have proper hermeneutics, right? Um, but it helps me understand what God is trying to say in His Word, and it helps me to submit to it um, and know that I'm not just reading this because it makes me feel good, you know? Hanley, how about you? What role does hermeneutics play in your sermon preparation and also in your personal Bible study? Uh, I mean, in, in sermon preparation, you know, you you have to be able to derive meaning and, and truth and points to convey to people that are based on the context of Scripture. You know, you, you want the people listening to God's Word who have the Holy Spirit, if they're believers, to actually hear the sermon, look at the Scripture and say, yes. What the pastor is saying, you know, that's actually what I see here. Um, and, and God really convicts them that the word is true. And it's not just my story or a joke or something, something off of my, my idea, right? That, that that's, that's the role. So hermeneutics is, the, is a big part. I think a big part and the most important part is getting the text right. So looking at a given passage and getting the right meaning, then I don't think if you don't get the right meaning according to context, you can't move to application. You can't apply what you don't know, right? So if you don't know the meaning of the text, it's hard to derive a right application of the text. Um, and then in my personal life, I think just like Meryl said, 
you know, a lot of times I'll just read, but it's, you do hermeneutics enough and it just becomes part of your mind. So, and your heart and how you think. So every passage I look to, I'm always looking for the context. So I'll give you the example like this, um, Judges Ehud passage, right? So whether you're preaching it or you're trying to find application, you want to find application. And, and so like John said, like this guy's really, really fat. Like why would the author highlight this? This guy's super fat. And if, if he's probably overeating, and overindulging because, you know, somebody can stab you and probably poop is not going to come out, right? But to, but to be stabbed at the right place and, like, poop is going to come out, I mean, this is just gross. But but there's there's some meaning here because if you go to Judges 3, verse 12, uh, it's teaching you that, and the people of Israel, again, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So, so, so God is saying, okay, this is a punishment. You guys disobeyed me. You don't want me as Lord to rule over you. So I'm going to put this fat guy over you, right? <laughs> and he gathered to himself the Ammonites and the, and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel, and they took position of the city of, of Palms, and the people of Israel served Eglon king of Moab, 18 years. So, so you look at that and you're like, okay, what does it mean they served him? So they're slaves. And then, and, and then, and then my hermeneutics brings me back, okay, like where are we in the Bible? We're in Judges. What happened before this? Well, Israel was enslaved. And God delivered them from Egypt. And you go back more and you're saying, okay, God wanted his people to go into the promised land and actually rule if they would allow God to rule over them. But if they refuse to submit to God's rule, then someone else would rule over them and they would be slaves again. And so you see this picture of of this guy who is overindulging on the slavery of God's people when they're supposed to be ruling, they're starving. And so you get that context that they're probably starving in the land of, of plenty that was supposed to be theirs. This is supposed to be God's place and God's people, but they're being ruled by this guy who poop is going to come out because he's eating too much. And, and so you get this picture of this overindulgent king who's fat and enslaving Israel, and they're starving, right? And so the application of that then for us is, is well, you know, will we submit to God's rule? And he's not going to put us under a slavery of, of this, but, but, you know, the same context. But, but then when you go to the true and better judge, right, there is an Ehud who is... You know, left-handed, which means if you're a soldier, you're going to be trained to fight with your right hand. If he's left-handed, he's a lot of commentators say he's he's basically handicapped. So you don't expect this guy to to do the job, right? But then he kind of just shanks the king with you know because it's it's like okay, where would where would his sword be if you're right-handed? Okay, your sword's going to be here because you're not going to pull your sword this way. But instead, his little blade is hidden on this side. So it's totally unexpected. So when, when Ehud pulls out the, the blade, it's unexpected. He gets close enough to the king. He's handicapped. The, the fat king is probably like, this guy's harmless. And he's able to get in there. And, and when you look at that, you look through scripture and you're saying, how does this point you towards Jesus? Because that's where you got to get your application. Christ is unexpected. Christ was in many ways broken, handicapped, suffering. You know, would you expect a suffering servant to deliver? So, so I mean, that's, you got to learn more hermeneutics to do that. Because you don't want to just jump to Jesus, but when you go through Scripture, you say, "Who is a true and better Ehud?" You know, Ehud is not perfect; he's not sinless. But who does he point towards? And then from that, you get personal application. You see how all of that came through my head. Um, it's not because I'm a pastor; it's just because hermeneutics. Now, after I don't know, twenty years or something, has been has been built into my mind. 
uh, and we go to another scripture, we'll go through the same process. And I, I think every believer can get to that point. You know? yeah. That's really good. Thank you, man. Do you have any encouraging words for them as the 11th graders in their Christian walk? Um, 11th grade. Um, I think at this stage of life, like, school is probably, like what Aaron was saying, like, your biggest thing. And I think school and everything that encompasses, right? So, like, your friend group, that is your whole life. And it's so easy to feel like every victory or failure in high school is your whole world. But it's not. You have so much life ahead of you. And I know no matter how many people tell you that, it's not going to seem like that to you. Where um, you're going to fixate on whatever is directly in front of you. But I encourage you, don't. Because there is so much more in front of you, you just don't know. But um, I would say just seize the opportunity right now you're in high school to to enjoy your life but at the same time to just um like learn i mean you guys have such good resources here and i would say as you start to make decisions towards college try and think about I sound like an old person. (laughs) (laughs) We are old people. (laughs) Just, um, just when you go to college, try and remember what you learned here and don't take it for granted. Um, I would save like the stuff that you're learning because you, maybe you think right now, oh, that's not important, blah, blah, blah. And then when you go to college, you might be like, dude, like what, what do they say in Sunday school? I want to know more about that. And I think in college is where you have, your freedom it's like you can start you're starting to be adult you're starting to make your own choices um and you can really start to see okay this whole christianity thing am i just believing in this because my parents dragged me to church my whole life a lot of you guys have been to church your whole life you can go to a completely different church you could go to a church that speaks tongues you could go to church you cannot go to church you know but from that point forward those decisions will impact your own life it's your life it's not your parents life it's not your brother's life it's not your friend's life it's your life so the choices that you make in college, um, you start to feel the repercussions of it, the consequences of it, whether they're good choices or bad choices. And so I just encourage you to surround yourself with people who will help you make good choices and um, just don't be afraid to ever come back and ask us questions if you ever have questions. Well, you guys don't know us personally, but maybe like Aaron or John, um, like the door is always open no matter what happens. And so, yeah. Thanks, Meryl. Hanley, same question. Any encouraging words to them as 11th graders in their Christian walk? Two, two points. The first will be intellectual. The second is, is practical. Okay. I, I think intellectual, you know, let me just, let me just use like English. Okay. Uh, as, as a, as a class at school, how, how many of you guys are taking AP English? Or honors. <laughs> okay. Okay. I didn't qualify for for AP classes when when I was in high school. Uh, anybody here? And I'm not saying this in a derogatory way, but but any of you guys taking remedial classes? Because I had to I had to make up. I got a D in, in I got a D in second semester of geometry, and I got like a C minus or a D in um, 
chemistry. You know, I basically went to adult school afterwards to make. I'm, I'm one of those. Okay, I'm the guy who would go to what is it called Del Paso now? I don't know. They they gave God. it like oh, they gave it a, yeah academy right. I'm one of those <laughs> kids. Um. So, so it. But is anybody taking like remedial classes? Right. So if you're in 11th grade, and I say this because in FCBC Walnut, you know, most of you are trying to take the best classes you can. And, it, and most of you guys are great schools, or, or no, all of you guys are great schools. And so if you're taking those classes, then you don't want to settle for remedial Bible, right? So then if you come to church and if you don't take it seriously, or if you just want to play games and it's like, and then you graduate, and it's like, hey, what did you learn through youth ministry? Oh, I don't know. We went to YSMP, which was great. You know, we went to, we had sleepovers, and we played Steal the Bacon. You know, like, like I, I mean, really, like, I, I, I would say take this time to ask all the questions and, and treat this like an AP um, course in Bible, right? Because actually what you're getting here in terms of tulip hermeneutics is, is first-year seminary or second-year Bible college for Bible majors. So you're actually getting a college education. So if you're preparing for college and everything else, why not in Bible, right? So that's just intellectually. And so challenge everything. Learn to think for yourself. You know, don't just receive something because your parents said so or because the teacher said so. I mean, I'm not saying be rebellious, but, but challenge it for yourself and make sure that you can understand that, okay, the reason why your teachers or maybe your parents or other Christians are teaching certain things is because it's what the Bible says. And don't listen to the, you know, what you read on social media. I mean, learn to discern that and kind of put that through the lens of, of Scripture. Okay, so that's the first thing is to treat this like an AP, uh, AP Bible class and get the best you can get out of it. Um, this class, you will learn some deeper things than the adults will ever let me teach an adult. This is the best class in this church, okay? Um, depending on you, though, because all, us as teachers are fallible. Depending on you, this is the best class, hands down, the best class. And if you if you ask other students, it's not because of me, not it's because of the scriptures and what the Word of God just does to people. People will say that this this was the one of the life shaping courses because of the contents uh, in terms of your alumni uh, of of Unicoi. Okay, the the second is practical. Um, if God is completely sovereign and you believe in that, and if he chose you for salvation, which is the most important thing, then why would he let you fail in life or be miserable or be hopeless or, you know? And so, so as you get into senior year, practically, if God is completely sovereign over your life, then all you need to do is be responsible to do your part and you pray for him. God, open a door, close the door. If, if you get rejected from schools, he closed the door. Right. If your parents can't, if you get accepted to a school and your parents can't afford to, and you're like, what do I do? I got to go to Harvard on the Hill for two years, which is not bad. You know, Mount Sac, whatever. Just surrender to him. That's his sovereignty. He's going to lead you to his definition of success for you. Right. You want a girlfriend or boyfriend. You're lonely. You know, just trust him. Um, you're going through all the stress and pressure uh, of, of what society says success is. You have to surrender to him, meaning. If God is completely sovereign over your life, and if he's saved you, then he has a personal plan for you. He loves you. He, he, he purchased you. He's going to guide you. So my practical application is don't be so anxious and stress out about what you can't control. Now, if you're completely irresponsible, that's a different story, right? But be responsible for only what the Lord 
calls you to do. Uh, and the rest of it, you just trust him and take one step at a time and let him close and open doors for you every step of the way. And, and that's my personal story too. Even when it comes to how I paid for school, you know, do all of my school. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Pastor Hanley and Merrill. And thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast here at FCBC Walnut. Please send us your questions and comments by emailing us at socialmedia at fcbcwalnut.org. We want this podcast to be useful and beneficial, but also fun and interactive for our listeners. So if you see us around in person, please let us know you listen and what you want to hear us talk about. Don't forget to subscribe to Walnut Weekly, our social media email newsletter. We deliver fresh resources for free and provide peeks behind the scenes from the social media ministry of FCBC Walnut. Subscribe today to stay up to date so you never miss out. Find the link in the show notes, but you can also find the link under the resources menu on our website at fcbcwalnut.org. For more episodes, you can visit our archive at walnutcommentary.tumblr.com, and you can subscribe to our official podcast feed on YouTube, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. Just search for FCBC Walnut. You will receive our latest sermons, podcasts, and more. For more info about our church, visit us online at fcbcwalnut.org. Thanks. See you soon.